0: We're going to the book of Luke today Again to all of our guests We are so honored to have you here Blessed Amen So thankful to have you here I'd get in trouble if I started calling names for sure But it's good to see some folks Back home where they need to be today Heather it's good to see you We love you and your family very very much Amen Luke chapter 22 And uh this is kind of a dark hour in the life of Jesus, in our reading today, as we come to uh, to a portion of self-denial, where Jesus is trying to strengthen his, his heart, and trying to bring some things together in alignment with God's perfect will and plan, and... uh He's dealt with the betrayal of Judas, and he told Judas that it was coming, but now he has a little word for Peter, and that's where I'd like to draw our text from today as he looks at Simon Peter in verse 31, and he said to him, Simon, Simon, He wanted to get his attention. He called his name twice. He said, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. He hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I, I have prayed for thee. I have prayed for you, Simon. Simon that your faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail you. He was wanting him to know, you're getting ready to go through some stuff. As a matter of fact, for the sake of time, we won't read, but just as we continue through the story, one of the next things he looks at Peter and says to him is you're getting ready to deny me. But he gave him a word. He said, when thou art converted. In other words, this is not going to last forever. You're going to face some temptation. But I've been praying for you that your faith would not fail you. And when you're converted, I want you to strengthen your brethren. I want you to let your brethren know. I've been converted. I failed the Lord. I messed up. But my faith did not fail. My faith did not fail. Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach to you today, and I may start just a little bit slow uh, because I want to get to where we're going. But I want to talk to you today about something the Lord has been dealing with me about for several, several days. And for the sake of your remembrance, I'm going to title this this morning Foundational Faith, Foundational Faith. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. I want to, I want to begin by telling you this morning to no surprise of, of, of most of you, this is uh, this is not something that, when I say shock and awe, is going to fill your mind and your chin's going to drop to the carpet. But I want to tell you that the agenda of this present world is to do anything and everything they can to attack the foundational principles and faith of the Word of God. Now, what I'm finding to be a fact is that my faith, what, when Jesus told Peter, he said, I pray that your faith would not fail you. The word in the Greek is pistis. It's an underlying conviction and belief. It's not like saying, I have faith in, in you that you won't fail me. That's, that's believing in, in something, having the ability to believe that it can happen. But the faith that Jesus was talking about was his belief in. In Messiah His conviction that Jesus Was who he said he was And he said I have prayed for you That that conviction That foundational faith That you have received In the last three years Of your life Peter That that foundational faith Would not be shaken Would not be shaken And so, in order to unravel the foundational faith of Christianity, a lot of what people are doing is they're having to come back to foundational teaching and try to unravel it with humanistic reasoning. Now, this is slow, so stay with me. But I want to tell you something today that I'll stand on until my last breath. I believe in education. But I believe that some of our liberal universities, their number one agenda is to unravel faith. We've got young people in this church that have been through the ideas of liberal universities and they have stood for the Lord, but not without fighting. These people... Call themselves doctors of spiritual thinking and religious thinking, and I've been I've been reading uh, about a particular man that is uh, uh, he is the director of biblical studies at a very large university. You would maybe maybe not recognize his name, but for certain you would recognize the university at which he teaches. He is standing on a thesis of belief that there was not just one type of Christianity. That there were multiple Christianities. In other words, before the, the, the correct term that we would use here would be orthodoxy. Before faith was established and became orthodox as a belief system of one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. That before there was orthodoxy, he stands on the idea that there was diversity. But that the only the strongest survive. and so whoever had the most power in the world at that time said, you don't have as much power as I do, so your belief system is not uh, as powerful as ours, and we win, basically. And he is saying that we need to go back through history and we need to discover that it's okay to have a diversity in your belief system. Now let me back up for just a second and remind you what I said. He is the director of biblical studies at a large university. In other words, he is working in the theological seminary portion of a very large university. He is the voice training the next generation of denominational preachers in the ideology that there were diversities in beliefs in the Christ. And that however you want to preach that belief system, it's okay as long as you're established in your belief system. The only way to unravel the truth is to convince yourself that there may be another truth. But I'm reminded of the words of the apostle as he stood under the unction of the Holy Ghost. And he said, we do not care if it's a man or an angel. If they come preaching any other gospel than that, which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Understand that he was not casting a curse or a spell. He was saying that man brings the curse onto himself. You've got to understand there is only one Lord, one belief system. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am that way. And you can't come in in any other way or you are a thief and a robber. So essentially what we're finding is, is that to get people saved, you've got to get them unsaved. This is why we see mass conversions on mission fields in third world countries where people, they don't know what they believe. They have no belief system. And so whenever they see truth, they're just like, oh, I see truth. God fills them with the Holy Ghost. They're baptized in Jesus' name, but not in the good old U.S. of A. Because we're so smart. We have all the answers, and we know everything. And the enemy wants to cause us to question our very foundational faith and belief. Because if he can come in at the foundation of what we believe and say, well, there are different ways. There is, uh, there, there is a different side to this story that you need to know. Then everything that happens after that, you understand, changes. So if he can come against us with false teaching, let's just use the narrative of the resurrection. If he can cause us to question the power of the resurrection. Then they never have to deal with the power of Pentecost. Am I making sense? So if we back up and say. Just like I I, I preached. uh, Was it last Sunday night? About the Jefferson Bible. Was it Sunday night? Yes, the cutting edge of unbelief. Where I talked about. In his Bible, the way that he had taken a razor blade and cut out the miracles of Jesus So literally, he closes out the gospel with Jesus being sealed in the tomb So if you take away the resurrection, then you don't have to explain the ascension And if you take away the ascension, then you don't have to explain The resurrection power being poured out on the children of God on the day of Pentecost, right? So then, let's fast forward almost 2,000 years, so then you don't have to explain why there's really only one true church. And you're going to have whatever denomination you want, whatever creed you want, believe whatever you want to believe, just jump in and do whatever you want. So we'll just back up to the foundational truths, and if we can conquer your foundation, then you got nothing to build on. Then it's free game. I was reading some of the goofiest stuff I've ever read. I've been in church all my life. And I, for the first time in the last few weeks, have come across some of the goofiest, craziest stuff that I've ever read in my life. Let's let's face it, church. Let's just face some things right here, okay? I'm, I'm fully aware that the resurrection is hard for us to believe in our finite mind. Okay? Like I'm talking about me as much as I am you. I've preached the resurrection for 25 years, believed in it all my life. But the resurrection is something that's pretty difficult to grab hold of. We're talking about a man that endured excruciating pain, brutal beatings, uh, impalement. Right. Right? We've read this. And he gets put in a tomb. They roll the stone over it. And on the third day... The stone rolls away, and he walks out. I understand that's difficult. I get it. Nobody else has ever done that. But nobody else has ever been the image of the invisible God. So if you, if you can attack the foundational faith of the resurrection, then you don't have to explain away why it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell my mind so it seems like every few days now there's somebody coming up with a new proof that the resurrection didn't really happen or at least the way the word of God said that it didn't happen let me stop right here and interject something okay let me just interject something this book still works The best thing you could ever do is to take this book at face value. If the book says it, it's right. Somebody said, well, preacher, that's awful closed-minded. I'm going to tell you, we got a problem. We've got so many open-minded people. They're so open-minded, their brains are falling out. We don't need another Bible. We don't need another belief system. I don't need something that's gonna make me rewrite another Bible. This one's just fine. Amen. Well, Pastor, what are you gonna get? What what are you gonna do if you get to heaven? And the Lord said there was more for you. I'm gonna say, Lord, I stood on your word. Amen. Period. That's it. Yes, well, my personal belief is that there actually should have been 68 books instead of 66. Then you believe in 68 books. But when I stand before the Lord I'm going to tell him Lord I believe that through your divine providence There was Holy Scripture inspired of the Holy Ghost We have 66 books and that's what I stood on And that's what I preached and that's what I believe And I've got a hard time believing That you can know the God of the Word Without knowing the Word of God So you you got to fall in love with the Scripture and if your ideas that you're running through your mind, your philosophies, your ideas cannot be ran through the filter of the scripture, you're in big trouble. That's right. If you study medicine in college, they put fences around it. So this is what we're going to study. We're going to study anatomy. We're going to study uh, the physical part of your body. Go through. All, they, they put fences around it. If you study uh, psychology, it gets a little crazier out there. But they start studying the mind and the way the mind works. And they'll kind of put some fences around it. But you're going to find out in our universities, there is no such thing as fences when it comes to philosophy. Just whatever makes you happy, man. Just if you don't like that belief system, don't do that. And it bleeds over. If you don't like that kind of teaching, go to another church. So ultimately what we're saying is, if I disagree with the doctrine of the scripture, as long as I can find a preacher that will let me believe it his way, then that's got to be the church where God wants me. I would say the church that God wants me is the church where my eyes are opening up and say, I have never seen that in my life, but it's in the word. It's got to it's gotta be right. It's got, it's got, I mean, it's got to be. Is this too slow for Sunday morning? So people are trying to come up with every kind of proof that they can that the resurrection did not happen. But you do do understand that early medical practitioners had trouble believing that creatures invisible to the eye were the cause of infectious disease. Well, if we can't see it, they don't exist. Well, in 1872, Pierre Pache, professor of physiology, Said Louis Pasteur's theory of germs is ridiculous fiction Today we call those Fiction Germs and bacteria Yeah Yeah? So, So what you're saying is because that generation didn't see it Then it can't be real Come on think about that And here's the point I want to get to you today folks You don't have to believe it's real But you go ahead and get you one of them bacterial infections. And then argue with it. You understand? I'm just trying to tell you, the word is, it is what it is. Pastor, I disagree with the Bible. I don't think it's right. Okay. Do you disagree with gravity? If you don't like it, that's not my problem. I mean, if your idea is right, take a jump off the building. See how it works out for you. Right? Somebody say down. That's what's going to happen. Well, I disagree with with the law of gravity. Okay. I'm not going to waste my breath arguing with somebody when I jump and I know what happens. And I'm not going to disagree. I'm not going to waste my time disagreeing with people that say Jesus wasn't really resurrected. Were you there, Pastor St. Clair? No, I wasn't there. Did you see it? No. But I also wasn't there when he created the heaven and the earth. Also wasn't there when he created the trees. Also wasn't there when he created the fish. Also wasn't there when he created man. But, boy, I'm sure glad he did. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Sooner or later, you got to take Him at His word. you has got to take Him at His word. And His word said that in the beginning, He created all by Himself. He did it. He didn't need help. He didn't need a counsel. He did it. He did it. I don't, I don't believe, it, man. I think it's fiction. Well, it's also infectious disease. You understand what I'm saying to you today? Naysayers and their stories of failed predictions are pretty legendary if you read them. I wrote down a few. Now, understand I'm not condoning this. I'm just saying it's a point in history where naysayers told the Beatles, don't even try, guitar music's on its way out. How'd that work out for you? Fred Smith was informed by his Yale University professor that his concept of overnight delivery was not feasible. It'll never happen. What about that Federal Express? Huh? Well, I've got my doubts, Alexander. That this little machine that you put together—that's going to tick, 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 tick—is going ha- it, to—it's not practical. They said, Alexander Graham Bell. We want you to understand. That the telephone is not practical. <laughs> you know, sometimes you read history and you want to pick up the proof and be like, how's that working out for you? Right. You understand what I'm saying? I, I, I'm, just, I'm just telling you. But these are doubts about technology. These are doubts about su- society. These are doubts about how things are going to pan out in the future. The man, the man that, uh, that owned IBM, his name was Tom Watson. In 1943, Tom Watson said this. He said, the chairman of IBM said, I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. You don't even have to have a computer anymore to have a computer. Right. You text it on a computer today. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? All things in time work out, but there's something that you've got to get your mind set on that no matter what winds of false doctrine come blowing and new ideas, if it's not in the book, I don't buy it. Yeah. 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 Doubters are not new. We can trace their their philosophical ideas back to the first century. It's crazy. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12, Paul addressed some of these folks in the first century church at Corinth. Now, I'm talking about the resurrection. So let's just go through this. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Are you all following what I'm saying right here? In the first century, there were people... Just a couple of years after the resurrection of Christ has said, I don't believe it. I don't believe it happened. He said, if we preach Christ, then how in the world are some of you saying that there can be no resurrection of the dead? Let's continue. Man, I hope I'm not boring y'all to death. <laughs> but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Let's go ahead. And if Christ be not risen... Is our preaching in vain? And your faith also is in vain? Another translation of this said, If Christ is not risen, then your preaching has no foundation. If Christ is not risen, then your faith has no foundation. In other words, the resurrection is the foundation of everything we believe. He said, If Christ is not risen, then your faith is in vain on that. Man, I feel him on that right there. Verse 15. yea, And we are found false witness of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. Go ahead. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. First century church. In the first century of the church They're saying We're not really convinced about the resurrection Well here's what you need to know First century church In 2019 Whether you were convinced or not at Corinth There are people at 630 West 53rd Street in Anderson, Indiana in 2019 that are fully convinced about the resurrection power of Jesus Christ because today we are the living testimony of the resurrection of Jesus. Men who were dead in their sin and their trespass, but today they live through the power of the resurrection. Oh, my. You can be seated. You know, I love this old book. That's why I like it, that after his resurrection, he didn't just ascend to heaven from the garden. But there's a neat little word that's used in the King James Version. It said it for 40 days with many infallible proofs. Jesus, for 40 days, walked in and out and among the people. And he said, I want you to see me like I am. I want you to know I've been resurrected. I'm not going to leave this to a fairy tale. But for 40 days, I'm going to walk among you. And you won't be able to deny that I have resurrected. So was that enough for the story to stick? Well... Bottom line you need to know today is Christianity does not exist without the resurrection. So if you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not a Christian. But there's something that we got to get a hold of in our hearts. According to the scripture I just read to you, without the resurrection, your preaching has no foundation. Your faith has no value, no foundation. You become a false witness of God. Your faith is worthless. We are still in our sin. And we who have fallen asleep in Christ or have died and have perished Have absolutely no hope for resurrection And this is where Paul said, I guess if I I had hope only in this life I'd be of all men most miserable So you you guys that don't want to believe in the resurrection, that's okay But I know when I take my last breath of oxygen in this world How do you know? How do you know that, Paul? How do you know that? Because I saw the look on Stephen's face when he looked into the heavens And he said, that's where I'm going It. I walk, how do you know the resurrection, Paul? Because I was riding on a donkey and he kicked me off. Right, right. How do you know? Because it's real. Have you seen him? No, he actually blinded me. Yeah. So you're saying he's real and you didn't even see him? No, oh, I heard him. I heard you. What did he say? He said, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. Right, yeah. what, what? How, how do you know? Because I feel him. Every day, everywhere I go, when I'm preaching, whether it be at Corinth, when I'm preaching, when I'm writing a letter to Rome, wherever I'm at, when I'm writing and I'm preaching, I feel this hand that comes down and rests on me. And I know for sure. I know for sure he's been resurrected. On Hill in Athens, Paul preached a pretty short but famous sermon about an unknown God. He said, let me preach about... This unknown God to you. There's those that ridicule and try their best to explain away the resurrection. Foundational faith. But they can't do it. So here's one of the goofy things I was telling you I read about. Can I read some of this to you? Couldn't believe it. Absolutely could not believe it. There's a theory out there. (laughs) For all you conspiracy theorists. Concerning the resurrection. I'm not making this stuff up. It is called the mostly dead theory. <laughs> I'm trying to. Okay, okay, I'm going to read it to you. How can you be mostly dead? I'm telling you right now, if I go to a mostly dead funeral, I'm out. Oh, he was so sweet. Look at him. He's just mostly dead. What if he decides to not be mostly dead while I'm standing there preaching it? It's finna be a new door in the side of the funeral home. That's it. I agree. Come on. <laughs> the formal name that usually you'll find the mostly dead, mostly dead theory goes by is called the swoon theory, okay? The idea was propagated through Hugh Sconefield's. 1965 book called The Passover Plot Because that's what he was doing He was plotting at the Passover In a widely read Work, Schoenfield suggested that Jesus Contrived to be arrested, planned to be crucified And did so knowing that he would be Taken down off the cross before the Sabbath Because obviously there was a law And instead of dying on the cross Jesus merely swooned Swoon theory And he passed Out but once in a cool tomb, <laughs> he resurrected and made his way out of the sepulcher. They laid him down on that cool stone, and he said, "Woo! What happened? I must have been asleep. Okay, let, let's go back and talk about a few things right here. Let's talk about the gaping hole in his side. Right, right, right. Blood and water. let can we talk about that? Just a, let's talk about them great big holes in his hands and his feet. Can we talk about that? Let's talk about it. he gave up the ghost. And when they thrust that spear in his side, he never flinched. I'm going to tell you all right now. I've only been passed out a couple times in my life. Did you go sticking me with a spear in my ribs? Something to go down. I'm coming awake. Yeah, But he was just mostly dead, so... And let us not forget that when they put him in the tomb, they said, you put that, you put that stone on there, and you, you be positive. That stone is sure. So let's, let's just roll with the theory, no pun intended. They lay him in there, and they put the stone on there, and they seal it. And they put two guys on the outside. And Jesus goes, man, I'm sore. I don't know what happened. So he gets up, and he's like, man. Let me turn on the light. Right? Because if it was a swoon, then there had to be electricity in the tomb. He walks over and he starts feeling on what's supposed to be the stone, and he realizes there's actually a door handle right in the middle of it. So he opens up the door handle and he just walks out and he looks at the guy on the left. Boom! Punches him in the face. The guy on, boom! Hits him in the mouth. They both fall out dead, and he's like, cool, man. I'm out of here. And thus is the first plot for Chuck Norris. It's there. See, it's biblical doctrine. It's just that easy. Y'all ready to get out of here? Is that foolish? Mostly dead. Okay, so, so I told y'all this was goofy. I'm not kidding you. I'm reading this stuff, and I'm, I'm like, what? So if the swoon theory isn't enough... There's another variation of the swoon theory, or the the, the mostly dead theory, whichever you prefer to call it. One is that Jesus, with full knowledge and help of the disciples, staged the execution. Another purpose is that Jesus was revived, so help me God, by a hidden doctor in the tomb. Hey, folks, let me bring you back to a reminder here. These are Christian writers. Christians. My Savior was not powerful enough to resurrect. He had a doctor waiting on him in the tomb. You can't make this junk up. The plot means that the disciples were participants in this. That when they sat down and ate of his body and drank of his blood that once the video cameras all left the room and there was nobody there to record, that Jesus leaned over and he said, Hey, boys, I got a plan. This blood and body that you're partaking of right here, we're fixing to make this real. I want you boys to put all this together. Go out there and get old Doc Resurrecto. Bring old Doc Resurrecto over there and hide him in the tomb. And I'm not really going to die. But i brought in some people from Hollywood, and they man, they've got a spring-loaded spear. They're going to make this thing look real. Church family, you listen to me when I tell you right now. Isaiah did not miss it when he said that he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. You don't get healed by fake blood. You don't get healed by fake stripes. You don't get healed by a doctor raising him up when he was almost dead. He is the living Savior that was crucified, put in a tomb, and resurrected. Okay, now I'm hurrying. I know we got to get out of church because your pot roast is going to burn in the pot roast, okay? In the in the slow cooker, pot roast is going to burn in the slow cooker. In the old crock pot. I got one more for you. Couldn't believe this, brother Kevin. It is called the Twin Theory. Y'all know where this is going. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. So apparently, Jesus had a twin in his mother's womb. It's ludicrous. He suggests that Jesus has a twin whose name is Huroma. This is Robert Greg Cavan of Cypress College. So just so you got, you know, I'm not making this up. He suggested Jesus had a twin whom he calls Hurom. In a nutshell, Jesus and his twin were separated. Soon after birth, Jerome arrived in Jerusalem just in time to see his twin brother Jesus crucified. It seemed a good idea for him to take Jesus' place as the Messiah. He therefore stole the body and picked up where Jesus left off. So that must be then why Jesus walked into his disciples and started giving them signs that they knew it was him. He said, "Uh, look at my hands, boys. Look at my feet. And he takes the bread that's in the room. He takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and he holds it up to heaven. They're like, oh, that's got to be him. Well, oh, Jerome. Oh, Jerome must have studied the New Testament the whole time. His brother was alive. Except for there was no New Testament. You understand the holes in the theories. Let's just get to the bottom line of this. I could go on all day, all day. This is the most bizarre concoctions I've ever heard in my life. Jesus had a twin. So let's just get to the bottom. Either you believe in the resurrection or you're lost. Oh my Lord, look it up for yourself. You they got a theory. I'm, I'm gonna hurry through this. It's called the cover up theory. That basically the disciples said, We want to cover all this up, and we're gonna pick up the ministry of Jesus, and we're gonna be the only ones that, that see him in the 40 days, and so we're just gonna tell people that he was resurrected, and he really wasn't. Quick problem He just got killed for being the Messiah. And now you're going to tell everybody we love the Messiah so much that he resurrected. Then he disappeared. They saw Jesus get crucified. You think them guys wanted to go get crucified like Jesus? So they just covered it up and said, oh, we'd be honored. Right. Right. As goofy as that sounds, is that, not a, is that not just as goofy as the happy doctrine? Right. That God wants me to just be happy? Right. Yeah. So if I can't love the one I want. I'll love the one I'm with. I'll just run up do whatever I want to do. Just get happy. Believe whatever doctrine I want. Go to any church I want. Just be happy. God don't want you to be happy. His resurrection is not about happy. His resurrection is about eternity. Yeah. Two millennia after the event. We Christians can state. Our belief in the resurrection and our belief in his post-resurrection appearances. We believe that it happened. These appearances are reasonable. They are without question. The Bible said they are infallible proof. And if an infallible proof is not enough for us, what else can he give us? This is exactly... Why the scripture tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I feel like telling somebody in this house this morning, you're either going to believe in the resurrection now or you're going to believe in the resurrection later. But at some point, you've got to believe in the foundational faith of who we are. Believe in the resurrection means to believe in the supernatural power of God. And you can't take away the supernatural power of God and then still have the resurrection. So what I'm saying to you is if we believe supernaturally that he can be resurrected, then why don't we believe supernaturally that he can touch your mind, your body, your soul, your family, whatever you... Well, I don't know if he can do that, you know. I'm just not real sure God can do that. Can I tell you right now that if he can get up out of that grave and show himself for 40 days with many infallible proofs, he can walk in this room right now and curse the sickness in your body. He can walk in this room right now and heal what's broken in your mind and in your family. How would he do that? I don't know. It's supernatural. It's just what he does. What he does. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Come on. Quickly coming to a close, but I want to remind you today: there's always going to be critics. Always. There's always going to be people to find fault. Always. So here's what you got to do: you got to convinced. Got to get convinced that you know that you know that you know. You got to. You, you, you got to get convinced. That except a man be born again of water and spirit, he cannot see nor enter the kingdom of heaven. No matter if the good people live a good life, do good things, be sweet, and even say they did it in Jesus' name. Jesus said, I don't care if they were minister all their life. And this is not the King James Version, this is my version. He said, They're going to look at me and say, Lord, we cast out devils, we healed the sick, did it all in your name. He said, I don't know you. He's not intimidated by how cool your ministry was. He wants to, Were you born again of water and spirit? If you have not been born again of water and spirit, you must be born again today. Why does that matter? Because the first time you're born, you're born in sin and shapen in iniquity. I'm a good person, pastor. I've never done anything wrong. I've never stole anything. You were born in a sinful nature. But when you're born again... I don't have the pedigree you got, Pastor. I can never do anything for the Lord. You don't understand. I got good grandparents. I got good parents. I thank God for them. I love them deeply. But I want to tell you, I'm not what I am because my daddy saved me. I am who I am today because I was born again. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your family tree looks like. I don't care how how much you drank. I don't care how much you cussed, how much you partied. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to God. When you're born again, you've got a new nature. I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith would fail not. The Lord looks at Peter and essentially says to him, Son, you're getting ready to go through some things, but I need you to stand on your foundation. I need you to get on the foundation and you stay there. And once you've got established, then when you're converted, you can encourage your brothers. The greatest thing that any Christian could do, period, number one priority, is be sure that you're saved. And if nobody else ever believes it in your life, you've got to be saved. Well, but Pastor, what if they make fun of me? Well, welcome to the club. Jesus said before they ever hated you, they hated me. Not everybody's going to agree with you that you're one of them old Bible thumpers, you know. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, so, um, I don't know how to ask this. They said, uh, are you one of them old... Like hellfire brimstone preachers I said I I don't really know what a hellfire brimstone preacher is I believe there's a heaven I believe there's a hell I believe except a man be born again of water and spirit He can't see or enter heaven I believe that Is that a hellfire brimstone? Maybe But I believe more than anything As much as I love pastoring this church And don't take this ugly If every last one of you are lost I got to be saved close with this, Dr. Evan O'Neill Kane performed more than 4,000 surgeries during his distinguished career as chief surgeon at Kane Summit Hospital. But his greatest contribution to medicine was as a pioneer of local anesthesia. Dr. Kane believed that general anesthesia was a necessary risk for patients with heart conditions, allergic reactions, so he set out to prove a point By performing major surgery using nothing more than local anesthesia. On February 15th, think about how crude these tools were. February 15th, 1921. His patient was prepped for surgery, wheeled into the operating room. After local anesthesia was administered, Dr. Kane cut the patient open, clamped the blood vessels, removed the patient's appendix, stitched the wound, and two days after surgery, the patient was was released from the hospital. The patient was none other than Dr. Evan O'Neill Kane. He did surgery on himself and changed the standard operating room procedure. He said, The way that I'm going to convince everybody else that it can be done. Boy, y'all are preaching right now. So you just went where I was going. If you really want the world to believe in the resurrection, you've got to live in resurrection power. If you, oh God, help me in this house. If you really want the world to believe that He's a soul fixer, He's a mind healer, He's a soul regulator, He's, oh God. If you want to get the results you've always got, then just do what you've always done. But if you want to change history, if you want to be a game changer, if you want to change your family history, then stand up and declare, I believe in the foundational faith of the Word of God, and I'll believe it till I die.